Welcome to Inside the Four Walls. Sports nutrition, active nutrition, and lifestyle nutrition is our world. It's changing, it's adapting, and it's evolving at a pace not many of us had anticipated. And we want to know more. I've learned over the years that some of the best insight is derived through conversation. And if you truly want to understand the dynamics of the market, you need to look beneath the surface. You need to ask those from within. So that's what we're doing. We talk to people from within the industry, those that have opinion, those that have been at the coalface, and those that have been there and done it. So buckle in and enjoy the ride. I'm Nick Morgan, and this is Inside the Four Walls. Welcome to episode 15 of Inside the Four Walls. Now, today we have Zarina Kanji from Alibaba. Now, in all previous podcasts, we have spoken to the brands because actually that's the story that everyone has been desperate to listen and understand more about. But when it comes to China, the right people to talk to are Alibaba and T-Mall Global. And that is Serena. She is the talent spotter, if you like, for Europe, for health and wellness and food and beverage. And she provides us with great understanding and insight into the Chinese market, the Chinese consumer, and what it is to do business for all those looking to export out of Europe or anywhere else globally into the Chinese market. It is pretty mind-blowing, the enormity of the opportunity, the sheer numbers, the breadth of the consumer base, the categories, and just the entire futuristic dynamic of the market over there. So for those who haven't considered exporting to Europe, this is going to be a perfect podcast for you. And for those that have looked into it or know a little bit more, then don't be under any illusion. There is a lot of great anecdotes and insight that should support your thinking to date. So sit back, relax, of course, enjoy. I leave you in the capable hands of Zarina. She gives a great overview. Um, there is no doubt that you will get a lot from this. So over to you, Zarina. Serena, welcome to Inside the Four Walls. I'm so excited to have you today to talk about a slightly different topic um, to everyone who's been on the podcast before, who've typically been the owners of brands. But this one is all about almost a strategic approach to moving into China. So really looking forward to it. Great to have you on. How are you today? Hi, Nick. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Like I said, I'm super excited. So um, I've introduced you already on the podcast. The way that I'd like to start, and it makes a good place, there's a bit of background. So for everyone listening, to put them into context of what is Alibaba and also Tmall, and then we can really work from there in terms of the implications that is all about China. Sure. So Alibaba Group, um, it's the world's largest retail company. Um, it's a 21-year-old business um, founded by Jack Ma, and it comprises of several different business units. Um, we're probably most famously known for our core commerce, our marketplace platforms. We also have a digital media and entertainment business, uh, lots of local services from restaurant booking to um, food delivery, uh, supermarkets, travel booking, flight booking. Um, so these are all you know, playing a really integral part into the lives of Chinese consumer. 
And then underpinning all of those, we've got what we call the backbone of global commerce. We have a uh, financial services and payments solution um, business. We've got Alimama, a marketing and data company. We have a logistics network, Sanyao, and we have a cloud computing business. Now I work for Timor Global, which is the cross-border e-commerce uh, marketplace. And I suppose that's the key bit, isn't it? So Timor being the cross-border, just to put that into context, if I understand that right, that's basically the landscape or for all international brands to access almost competing against themselves for the Chinese consumer, but it's not about being local in China, is it? Yeah, it's um, Timor Global is, is the home of international brands in China. And it's around seven years old. It came, it came from Timor.com, which is our domestic platform. It was originally um, set up good 15, 16 years ago now. So Timor and Timor Global are the home of brands in China. It's where you come to find any brand in the world. Um, and each brand has their own dedicated brand flagship web store. And I suppose it's probably at this point, for the purposes of this podcast, your role particularly is health and wellness, food and beverage. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And, and how how big a composition is that on 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 Teamwall? Is that one of obviously multiple categories? I assume Teamwall's got everything that you could possibly imagine. So, I, I, in that sense, um, how vibrant is that area currently in China? Yeah. So you you know you can buy almost anything on Teamwall. Um, if you imagine like the world's biggest shopping mall online, that's what it is. Um, so you can buy from health supplements to trainers to a car um, it's really really broad what you can find in terms of the health and wellness category and food and beverage they're really really popular um, they're some of the leading categories on our platform because by nature of it people are looking for people in China are looking for brands from outside of their home country they want to find something that is from a country where they are really well known for producing great quality healthcare supplements as example so countries like the UK um, Australia New Zealand Japan Korea the US Switzerland Germany really popular for good quality health products um, so the Chinese consumers look to those types of markets for those types of products um, as an overall, the health category grew 50% year on year last year for us. Um, so certainly very front of mind to the Chinese consumer. Why does the Chinese consumer love international brands? Why, why is that? Is that just something that's always been quite unique to the Chinese consumer landscape? Um, I think it's more that, you know, they there are certain places that they know have a really good heritage for producing quality products. Um, so they look to them for that. They're also a very digitally minded consumer. They're very globally savvy. Um, they travel a lot in a, in a normal world and they love to buy things that they can find when they travel. So if they're walking into a store in the UK into a Boots or a Holland and Barrett, they're really excited by what they can find and being able to find that back at home is even more exciting for them and obviously easier. Um, and I suppose what's what's fascinating then, so your role is, well, it'd be quite good to give us a sense of that, because in a way, you're almost helping people to move into this environment to help them succeed in China. But as some of the conversations we've had, it's almost like a degree of talent spotting as well. So you're looking for who is trendy and who is relevant to China. So are people coming to you and is it 
um, they can make it work as long as they've got, I guess, the infrastructure budget? Or do you also say you're not ready for us yet? Like, how does it work in terms of moving through this avenue? Yeah, so I think, you know, the first thing is to look at the China opportunity. Um, China represents half, almost half of all global e-commerce already. So it's a massive opportunity and it's natural that a brand would want to go there to break into that market. Um, so my role on the ground here in the UK and Europe is to find the leading and trending health and wellness and food and beverage brands from here and help them to export to China, to sell to Chinese consumers. Um, it's a mix of how we find them. Um, sometimes brands are coming to me, um, but I do a lot of research myself, going out to trade fairs, virtual trade fairs, searching for people on brands on LinkedIn, keeping up with you know, research and media to find out what's going on. And also taking them some trends from China because there's a sharing of trends that, that crosses from East to West. So we're able to look at those opportunities and then speak to the brands and help them get out there and access the consumers. Uh, are you inundated? I mean. As I understand it, my, my role with the industry is quite an interesting one, working with you know, brands, ingredient suppliers and so on. And um, everyone's really fascinated looking from the lens of Europe out to China, not least just the enormity of the size you know, of the opportunity. Does, do you think there's a lot of people desperate to do it? Do you, or do you think there's more people who should be open to the idea, but maybe they've been a bit coy on the opportunity because maybe they don't think they're... It, it, it's it's almost too much to take in of whether they are relevant or what's included. I guess my question is, are you inundated with inquiries or actually almost today, you're almost saying, people, look at the opportunity, we can help you. You need to take this on. It's really potentially realistic. Um, I guess let's just say I'm never bored. Um, so <laughs> certainly kept busy for the amount of brands that we that we speak to. Um, but I certainly think there are more brands who could look at the opportunity. Um, you know, as a, as a business, we have 960 million annual active consumers globally. Um, to the end of the last fiscal year, FY20, we traded over a trillion US dollars of gross merchandise value. So there's a huge, huge appetite. And if I try and sort of hone that in a little bit more, um, one of the things that, that Alibaba Group and Tmall is, is really famous for is Double Eleven Global Shopping Festival. It takes place in November every year. Um, it's a all immersive, uh, gamified, um, live streamed, online, offline integrated shopping festival that brands take part in. Consumers get super excited about it. There's an element of, you know, you can get a good deal, but there's an awful lot of collaboration and exclusive products that you can get just on that, on that shopping festival. So last year, um, during our festival in, in November 2020, we traded 74.1 billion US dollars of GMV in 11 days. And almost half a billion US dollars worth was from UK goods that were sold into China. And is that UK goods on health and wellness, food and beverage, or is that in total UK goods? Total UK goods. Yeah, still a, it's still a number that I can't write down how many zeros that is in truth. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a big number. Um, I mean, it almost is astonishing, really, isn't it? And I, I suppose to some degree, without thinking of the complexities, my, my mind runs on behalf of others and think, hell, you could change your business 
framework overnight. I mean, it can't be that simple. I mean, we'll come back to that. So actually, let me let me move on to the consumers. So this is a Chinese consumer who is really fascinated all over about the international market. So they're looking for the international brands, whether that's UK, a part of Europe or America, what have you. Mm-hmm. I guess, who is that Chinese consumer? Is that a particular consumer type that is looking for the international brands? How would you describe them that are shopping on Tmall? Mm. I think there's there's a little bit of an element of needing to get an understanding of the history of China. And I, I won't go deep into the history of China, that's all out there, but thinking just about China for the last 30 years and how quickly that market has evolved, we've seen rapid development. If you look at the, the, sh- the skyline of Shanghai over the last 30 years, it's unbelievable how much it's it's moved in less than my lifetime. So what we've got in China today um, is a middle class of 400 million people. On our platforms, we've got 85% of our users who are between the age of 18 and 39. So we're hitting that Gen Z millennial consumer. We're a 21 year old business. Timor's younger than that. Timor Global's only seven years old. These people have grown up with us. They've grown up with a phone in their hand. Over 90% of our transactions are done on mobile. Our consumers are coming to our China retail marketplaces up to nine times a day. And they spend about half an hour a day with us every day. So they're already there. They're digitally minded. They're digitally savvy. They're globally minded. But what is also really exciting about China is that it's still growing. So if you you take the UK, you take the US, Europe, your internet penetration is near saturation. It's sort of 90% plus. The China internet penetration is hovering around 70%. Still a long way to go. And in terms of that middle class, we're expecting to see another two to 300 million added to that today's 400 million in the next two to three years. So you've got a market that is growing really quickly, still growing and has a long way to go. Why wouldn't you want to get into that? I don't know. I generally don't have a good answer to that. I suppose you've got the consumers, the size of the cons- the number of consumers, the sheer volume. I mean, that's staggering. Mm. Over here, or I would frequently say, you know, there's been a paradigm shift in the way that consumers are adopting more proactive habits towards health and wellness, um, nutrition, yeah. fitness, exercise, the as- aspiration to be better. Mm. Is that effectively the same in China? I think in China, I see more of a, not necessarily wanting to be better, but to be healthier is just super important to them. Um, And it comes right from the top. China has set out a Healthy China 2030 initiative. It comes from the government and it works across 14 different streams. And the ultimate goal is that over the next 10 years, they want to have Chinese Chinese consumers living longer, being more healthy. So this is ranging from eating healthier to stopping smoking to mental health. And what we've seen over the last year through the pandemic is the pandemic has just accelerated trends that were already happening there. So they want to be healthier. They want to be better for themselves so that they can take care of themselves better, take care of their families, um, do a better job in their workplace. It's more around that. What is, I suppose, what what's interesting to us, I mean, so they want to be healthier, that's great, there's a bigger agenda, and I would suggest in China, if the government suggests telling them there's a big agenda for this, a lot of people are following it appropriately. Um, 
health is a very ambiguous term in many respects. It can mean many different things to many different people. Um, we know over here and in the US and other different markets, the different attributes of how people score health or if you could have this type of product, what, what would it sit on a one to 10 scale, for example? What, what, are, what is it that the Chinese consumer defines as health? What are they, I suppose, looking for in terms of the product availability? What are the, 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 the top sort of categories that you would say in health and wellness? Yeah, so the number one health concern in China is, is sleep huge anxiety over sleep issues, you know, working long hours, having tons on your mind, busy, busy lives, um, lots of screen time really doesn't help you get to sleep. I think you and I could probably relate to that as well. Yeah, um, so that's, that's the major concern is sleep, getting to sleep, getting quality sleep, getting enough sleep. Um, and then in terms of what is what was the best selling product for us actually during double eleven global shopping festival the best selling subcategory was inner beauty supplements so again the amount of screen time that we're all doing nowadays people are looking at their own face a lot more and the social media element of putting your face out there they really want to be looking younger um but i think one of the things that i always think is really cool about china and really smart um is that they work preventatively rather than reactively you know i didn't start using anti-wrinkle cream when i was 21 i kind of started when i was 30. in china it's the other way around they know that you need to start young they know that you need to start taking your supplements younger so that when you get to 40 and 40 and above is defined as older in china um Damn when it. you get to, <laughs> when you get to the older age you're already you know smart about what you're taking but you've protected your body and your mind to the best ability you can in order to live a longer more prosperous healthy active life so if I ramp you all the way back then, you said around the consumers 18 to 39. Mm. So in, in many respects, a lot of those consumers, wherever they sit on that range, of course, there'll be a few older ones. What you're actually saying is they're already thinking about what they're doing now for the purposes of its impact later on in life, long-term yeah. vitality and health. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, one example that we've really seen evolve over the last year is um, a, a supplements for eye health. <clears throat> So the amount of screen time that we're, we're doing, Chinese also have a massive gaming culture. So they're spending a lot of time under blue light, um, which, of course, impacts your eye health. Um, so we have seen brands come to the market that are really tapping into this. So uh, one UK brand um, that's done recently launched is Mackie Shield and traditionally a much older product um, for people who have you know found out they have an issue with their eyes and then they start taking the product. Well, this product's gone to China and. Yeah, doing pretty well. Um, another brand that has found um, their eye health product come to the forefront and be one of their best sellers is uh, Vitabiotics, who have a Vision Ace product. Again, it's become one of their best sellers in China because that younger consumer knows that they need to take a supplement preventatively to look after the health of their eyes so that by the time they're 40, they haven't degenerated their eyes for the amount of screen time that they're engaging in. And what about... When you say inner beauty as well, I, I, I then link that also some moving around here, but they're all interlinked. So aging, but to inner beauty, because people want to look better as they live longer. Yeah. Inherent within inner beauty is collagen. I just mm -hmm. wondered almost you could separate those two, but you can but they use collagen is used for many different things. This one is, is are you just seeing a huge mindset 
uh, and growth of, of collagen within within this platform as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, collagen has been a trend in China for a while, whether that be skincare or supplements. Um, a couple of the brands that we work with, um, one would be Noromega from Norway, official supplement. We had, well, they had um, a 900% increase in customers watching their live stream last, at last year's festival um, for Double Eleven, which is a huge increase in people who are searching for quite a specific fish oil brand product. Um, and again, Phytobiotics, their collagen drinks, really, really popular in China. Um, so we've had, so we've got sleep, we've got eye. A lot of that is also, you know, the busy life, blue light, I must come back to gaming, by the way. Um, you've got sort of the anti-aging or the thought process of, you know, being preventative towards the impact of aging as people grow older. How, what about trends that are really related to the nuances and the, the specifics of people would describe sports nutrition over here? So protein for the purposes of aesthetics in terms of muscle growth and also endurance as well. I just wondered how do they factor in their, in the, the paradigm of, of health and wellness for the Chinese consumer? Yeah, super important. Um, again, with that busy life, the Chinese consumer is really looking for products that they can take on the go. So on-the-go snacks, healthy eating, meal replacements, these are all really, really big categories in China. Um, one of the brands that we've worked with for a very long time is actually My Protein from the Huck Group. Um, their whey isolates are super, super popular protein powders that you can you know, mix into a shake and have after the gym. But this is, this is people taking it for the purpose of post, pre or post gym, but it's also people that are taking it because they're so busy at lunchtime, they can't run down to get some food. They just need something to have on the go at their desk. Um, so that's become really popular. And then more recently, we've seen more people go towards bars, protein bars. Um, so PhD, their smart bars do really well in China. Um, Grenade came to market last year. Um, there's a Serbian brand called Bombar that does protein balls. Um, they do really, really well. In fact, they saw 1.2 million RMB um, in November's double 11. I love that anecdote in itself because I think a lot of people who listen to podcasts know that I track bars globally. And um, there's a bar that most people are like, who is that? And then you turn around yeah. and say, oh, but they've come to China and they've sold over 1.2 million bars, what have you. And then you're kind of instantly putting that into the size of the opportunity and you just realize yeah. you know we get blinded a little bit about who we perceive to be big brands um absolutely effectively what you're telling me is an opportunity for everyone if they're if they're really if they're real about this approach you know they're confident and they're they're serious i guess yeah totally i mean this is probably something we should have covered at the top but i felt like i was bombarding with a lot of stats so team or global um we currently have twenty nine thousand brands who are selling on the Timor Global platform. And that covers a range of 5,800 categories. And the brands come from 87 different countries. More than 80% of the brands who make their debut on our platform are making their China debut. They've never done anything in China before. So that's why you find a you know, Serbian brand called Bombar that you and I haven't heard of before doing really good business in China there's an opportunity for everybody when you come to market in china you you nobody knows you you know you're brand new to that market you have to start from scratch so that means it's a level playing field for any international brand that's entering which is a really important point because 
when you say 29,000 brands, okay, across all categories, but if we go into health and wellness, or if you try to categorize that sports nutrition, I guess the question I asked actually as we're going through this was, yeah, there's a big opportunity in China, but you're walking into a massive international marketplace. So, you know, it's yeah. not like you're walking into a market and going, well, you know, there's 20 decent brands to compete against. Here's our USP, we'll cut through. I mean, you're talking about serious numbers of brands. You're competing against the everyone in the US that wants yeah, to the export. whole globe. Anyone in Europe who wants to export. Anyone in South Africa who wants to export. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the scope of that is, yeah, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a simple win, though, is it? I think that's also important to make. Well, as a business, it's our mission to make it easy to do business anywhere. That's our focus as Alibaba Group. So we've put the infrastructure and the tools in place to facilitate that for brands. Yeah. Um, just before we move on to some of the, the actual product trends, because we've started to talk about them and I love them and I just want to go into them more detail. Mm. Two quick questions. Mm. So we talked about protein and you used the example of my protein, which is great because everyone knows who they are over here yeah. and flying. You mentioned PhD, people know grenades. Wow, what a week they've just had for everyone listening. So mm. um, endurance though. So I can think of a few brands over here, you know, carbohydrate gels, energy gels, mm. recovery mm. powders. Uh, triathlon swim bike run to what extent do they play i mean over here a smaller part of the market but a brand can be uh, sizable to a degree um over there how many people are doing triathlons marathons i mean the equivalent of a park run etc that may be inclined to use those types of products what's the opportunity there mm. well the answer is an increasing number um, I think globally, everybody is more into sports and there's much more of a global shift into being healthy rather than, you know, hanging out and not being healthy. Um, it becomes a social activity as well as something to channel your mind and your physical abilities into. So, um, you know, Ironman has got much closer associations in China um, than they ever did before. And some of the brands that we work with have tapped into this more sort of ultra sport world. Um, one would be science in sport. Um, their best-selling product in China is the electrolyte effervescent tablet. So you know, we talk about this huge market in China of millions of people, um, but of course you're not always going to tap into all of them. But a small portion of market share of those millions in China is still a fairly sizable chunk. Um, so for somebody like science in sport, they've come in and they've tapped into that specific cycling market and partnered with people like sky in order to reach the consumer that will enjoy and benefit from their product yeah we should probably say team ineos now actually but don't worry i think it should shouldn't yeah, I? No, no, but it's uh, <laughs> i think i think people still use would probably um flippantly use mac move back and forth still at this stage but it's a really good point we actually had steven uh, moon on one of the podcasts earlier yes. he's absolutely brilliant by the way um top top person um, and what I think a lot of people took from that, myself included, is when when you're resolutely focused on who your brand is and what your consumer is, and you don't become too much for too many people, you can have a, a really good business. And then, and then it's up to you to try and get more people into that world. And I suppose that example is a good one. They've not changed to go over there. I mean, they've got to adapt to the Chinese consumer, no doubt. But what they're not changing is their proposition. They mm. know what they are. They know what they do. And if they get a small amount of the very large consumer base, I suspect it could be quite an important part of their, their broader business portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, really nice, um, really nice example. Um, education is an enabler to our market. How educated are the Chinese consumers? Very, very. 
yeah. far more than probably any other market. Um, if you go onto Tmall onto the app, what you'll find is that every store has an almost endless scroll of information that the brand has put on there as content to be consumed by the Chinese because they want that. They relish that. They really, really want to get into the detail of what your brand is all about. Why was it founded? Who's your founder? What products do you make? How do you make them? What ingredients do they have? How do you make this product? You know, how does it work for you? How do you drink it? How do you eat it? How do you, you know, do you take it at breakfast? Do you take it with orange juice? They really, really want to know. They will spend, you know, they're spending that much time with us and they will spend time to invest in researching your brand. So that means by nature that they are really, really educated. Well, you told me they were on at least nine times a day on average. So I have to ask the exactly. question what the hell they were doing. But if they're, but nine times to read the amount of stuff on there would make sense. Yeah. But I guess they're not just coming on nine times. They're actually spending some good minutes on there absorbing what people yeah. are telling them. What, what, just quickly, what's the split then, would you say, subjectively between they want to know about the brand and the owner so that's like you know it's the it's it's the marketing story how much are they interested in the science and the research and the efficacy um, that people bring to market mm. with health and wellness products they're really interested in that because they have such a concern about and rightly so what they're putting into their body um, they really want to know that they can trust the brand that the ingredients are the right ingredients that they're the ones that are going to work for them there's a huge element of personalization in China and, you know, that's a trend that we're seeing reach across the globe. So they really want to make sure that the products they're selecting are for them. On, on, on that as well, then, does, do they perceive the products from international, people on the international team or site, of course, are shopping for international brands for purpose. But within this sector, is that because they view international brands as more credible, as more scientifically better? Or is it just a general interest because they're more globally aware? I mean, how do you compare them to localized brands in terms of quality of products and quality of ingredients and scientific efficacy? How, how would you describe the difference if there is one at all? I think at this stage, we, we can't say that international brands are any better quality than Chinese brands. There are certainly some super strong players within the local market who have got all of the science to back up what they do. Um, so it's more about the brand having a super strong DNA and having um, a message to consumers that the consumer can relate to, that they feel that this product suits me, it fits into my lifestyle, my beliefs and my needs. Um, and it's communicating with the customer in that way. What we also see with the customers is that because they're so on trend, because they're all, you know, they're so young, they're wanting something that's cool and trendy all the time is that we see the brands that can innovate the best and the quickest really being able to succeed so something that is becoming really really um, pop, on trend at the moment is pill fatigue in china so they're so sick of just popping pills they want something exciting so they're really looking for ways that they can take their supplements in the way of gummies or drinks or cookies breadsticks any way that's innovative is feeling like it's a little bit indulgent. It doesn't feel like so much of a chore. So this is a way that the Chinese consumer is like so smart. They know that you don't have to be all, you know, straight laced old school scientific about being healthy. 
there are cooler ways to do it. There are more exciting ways to do it. So they like to tap into the brands that are doing new things. Sometimes they're an international brand, sometimes they're a local brand. Um, so for brands that are entering the market, I think you do need to be really aware of what you can offer, but also think about what you can offer to the Chinese consumer and how you stand out differently to anybody else. Yeah, and that would really mirror over here, actually. I think mm. we've no doubt, I, I think there is, unquestionably there's an element of pill fatigue, pill capsule tablets, et cetera. People are looking for more experiential ways to consume that give something a little bit more to an immediate feel, a taste, mm. you know, something iconic about being seen to be consuming something. And that's really making a nice traction. So it's really interesting to see. And, and, and clearly they have no issue buying things that would feel to us a little bit more impulsive, like a drink, for example. Mm. They have no issues with buying packs of 12 or more of a drink, for example, on, a, on, a, on an e-commerce site. No, no we've, see, we've seen a lot of um, portion size increase in China. So they want something that is broken down into a portion size so that they can take it with them on the go. Um, but in terms of the purchase, it's quite often a six pack, 12 pack that they'll purchase online and have delivered. So they've got it ready to go and take with them. And from an innovation point of view, how, how does that, are people, <clears throat> I mean, if you're an export, you could almost just bring different products at different times. And in some respects, could be launched as a new product. Do you think they're wanting to see products launched from an international brand that they would, they would expect over here, but is relevant to China? I suppose, do they expect specific products for the Chinese consumers from these brands? Localized or, products, yeah. yeah. Um, when a brand first comes to market, what they tend to do, what we recommend them to do, is to focus in on two or three maximum five hero skews so you want to think about what are your best selling products to go to market with to capture the attention of a Chinese consumer um, put your marketing investment behind those and build your brand in that way you can then start to understand who you're talking to who is interested in your product who's having a look who's buying who's coming back really understanding that purchase funnel and then once you're there in the market you can start to do things that are interesting to the locals like creating special flavors uh, one brand that's done that very nicely is it's another hut group brand actually exante diet mm. who created a milk tea flavored shake for the china market um, traditional supplements and teas and honeys are really popular in china of course from the heritage of traditional chinese medicine um, one brand that we work with very well and for a long time is Wittard of Chelsea. Um, for Chinese New Year this year, they created a lychee red tea to fit the local market. So once you, once you have that understanding of what your customer likes and who they are, you can then start to offer those types of personalizations and localizations for the market to you know, be exciting and create something for the customer. And those examples are really good because that's basically saying, right, I've got a product, here's my normal flavor range, but this flavor is very relevant to you guys over there. Great. What about subtle differences in flavor? My, my anecdotal comparison is basically saying, when a US brand comes into Europe, you might still have chocolate and here's chocolate, but the sweetness of that versus the palate of the US versus the European consumer or a UK consumer is quite different. So you'd almost have by name the same flavors, but the flavor profile itself would have to change because of the sweetness profile. Do you do, do the Chinese consumers want exactly the flavors of the other flavors that you would expect in the UK over there? Or do we have to change 
the sweetness and the flavor profile of a chocolate when it goes over to China. So the subtlety differences, is there any need to do anything there? Um, I am often told when I bring samples into the office that Chinese consumers don't like really sweet chocolate flavors. You know, they, they like things that are a bit more bitter. Um, however, we do see the flavors that are selling in the UK selling out there. One example is that when, actually it's Wittard again, when Wittard first went to China, they're a heritage tea brand. That's what they're known for, their tea. When they went to China with Timor Global, their best-selling product was their hot chocolate. So sometimes you do see these nuances where, you know, what is your best seller at home is not your best seller there. And there is still an appetite for the flavors and the tastes and the exact sort of flavor profiles and sweetness profiles that we see in the UK with the Chinese consumer. You have to remember, you know, we're dealing with 1.4 billion people. They're not all going to like savory or bitter. There's still going to be that variation across that vast number of people. Yeah. And another one that just to build on that then around chocolate without getting, you know, still too early for us in the day recording this, we're thinking about chocolate, I hasten to add. However, <laughs> It, permissible indulgence to those brands that you mentioned earlier. So to my protein, of course, or Exante, um, PhD, Smart Bar, Grenade, Carb Killer, a huge component of those brands is permissible indulgence. It's, it's almost like healthy confectionery, better for you, chocolate bar. Is Chinese consumers super pumped for, um, I guess, permissible indulgence type flavors? Is that, is, that, is that a good reward for brands? Yeah, the Chinese consumer loves the snacking industry. You know, they... There's over 70% of Chinese consumers that say that snacking is really important to their lives, to their health of their lives. Um, and this entire healthy snacking and meal replacement category, it grew 30% year on year last year. And it's actually forecast to grow to over $18 billion by 2022. <laughs> so it's it's big, is, is all I can say. That's the size it's of this market globally, nearly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that's just snacking, yeah. And, and also with those brands, it's a it's not your classic chocolate bar. It's a step away. It's, you know, the grenade bar has protein in it. It is functional as well as being an indulgent treat. Yeah, and, and then the bar market, let's just be really, really simplistic to it, but you've got, let's say, a classical protein bar enrobed in chocolate, better than chocolate bar, the way that it's moved on. Then you've got, on the other side, more holier than now, fruits and nuts, dates, et cetera. They're, foods that you could pronounce type bars, let's say kind, do, do they do as well as the protein bar? So I'm thinking of the different types of bar, healthy snacking brands that existing globally, uh, is the same opportunity for the other type of the bar to, to be successful in China? Yeah, from the start of this year, we've seen much more of a demand to the um, more nut-based, fruit-based, healthier bar, like a kind bar. They've been cited as a really great example of what the Chinese consumer is demanding for this year. Um, and that whole sort of savoury taste is linked to that. Um, one example that we did a few years ago um, as a business, Mars Snickers came to us and wanted to profile into the Chinese consumer taste. So they worked with our Timor Innovation Centre, looked at the data of what the taste profile was for their brands and for the category. And they developed a spicy Snickers which went to market as part of Double Eleven um, and is now a mainstay product in China, the spicy Snickers bar. So 
there's plenty of opportunity to tap into this and to to look at different ways of, of indulging and having a slightly healthier or slightly more bitter product a couple more questions on products um so a couple of the things are interested in the, like the real sort of core sports and active nutrition brands. So we've mentioned already the growth of bars, super cool. You've mentioned the importance of, of, of powders actually, mm -hmm. but you've mentioned twice meal replacements, another mm -hmm. big trend over here. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're all not to whatever it is, 70 million in five years globally, you've got the growth of feed in, in France, Jimmy Joy in Holland, um, uh, Y food in Germany and so on, right? Real plethora of growth of meal replacement brands across mm -hmm. Europe convenience on the go reimagination of powders and all mm. i mean i'm taking from what you said mm. a couple of times that's exactly what you mean is happening over there people want to yeah. meet on the go yeah absolutely so we're seeing it for brands in the uk like my protein like exante like slim fast even you know it's been around for years it's an incumbent of the meal replacement um category but they're in china they're, they're doing what they do and they're doing it really well um but there's also some trends that I see coming from China. You know, there's a Chinese brand called Wonder Lab, which is essentially powder in a bottle that you can add whichever liquid of choice to the powder and get a drink. So they tend to have, you know, the, the more Chinese taste like matcha green tea, sesame, black bean. Um, so si super simple. It's lightweight. It's powder in a bottle. It doesn't yeah. like a, It's like a shake and take. They exist over yeah. here, but it's just not. Um, traditionally out of an elite kind of sport game where it was easy yeah. to transport the powder in the bottle and then they didn't have to mix it up and take those shakers and mess and something yeah. like just do it that way. But the yeah, shakers are ready made. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. A couple more, promise. Um, mm. CBD, um, yeah. regulatory minefields all across the world, but um, existing through Timor Global. Yeah, newer category to us. Um, we actually launched our first European CBD brand um, in November, which was Vitality CBD from the UK. Um, because of the nature of cross-border, what you're doing is you're selling like you sell here in the UK. So your brand is adhering to UK company registrations, UK product registrations. And for the CD, CBD market, if your product has less than 0.3% THC, which is what is generally legally required globally, you can sell that product into China. So we're seeing a big demand from consumers for CBD products, um, which will mostly help with sleep um, and inner beauty. I mean, that, I mean, you just mentioned two of the big trends right at the beginning of this, and that's where yeah. I see the CBD in terms of the opportunity with sleep. Yeah. Um, so, so on that, does that mean, I don't know whether you'll be able to answer this, that at the end of this month in the UK, if you have a validated novel food license for CBD, you'd be able to continue to, you know, be available in the UK market. Otherwise, you'd be taken off. Does that mean Timor uh, Global will effectively say you don't have a validated uh, novel food dossier in the UK, so you can no longer sell on here? Is that right? Yeah, you have to be legal in your home country, and then you can sell on Timor Global. Yeah, so you might have to retrospectively go back through, perhaps. Although you've only just started CBD, so let's hope Vitality make it through. Um, probiotics? Massive. <laughs> Massive. Um, I think the gut health trend is, is global. Everybody knows that, you know, healthy skin, healthy body, healthy mind starts in the gut. Um, there's so much science out there about it. Probiotics in China are massive. Um, we work with several different brands who are doing it very well. Um, one would be Proven from Wales. They actually have the largest probiotics factory in the UK. Um, started with us about 18 months, just over 18 months ago, focused on two brands, two products, sorry. Um, 
and yeah, doing really, really well. Um, we also work with people like ProBio7, Optivac Probiotics. Um, again, that Chinese consumer is just really, really aware of the benefits of it. And a lot of it comes from women, um, <clears throat> women who are super aware of the benefits of probiotics and um, a lot of, um, a lot of, again, that term older women, um, older people over 40 have come to market in China in the last year because of the pandemic, um, because it's not possible to physically go for go to a shop because of the lockdowns. So we've seen older women. I'm sorry, I hate using that term because I really don't think it's older. Um, but that's sort of I agree, I agree. But nonetheless, <laughs> in the, the eyes of the Chinese consumer, maybe it is. But we yeah. So we're seeing women who are in that perimenopausal, menopausal age group who are really concerned about things like uh, brain fog and um, osteo care and joint care coming to the market, looking for probiotics, looking for um, joint and glucosamine products. Um, so that whole market of older health is, is growing and it's, it starts with the probiotics and then it evolves through to the joints. Um, China's got like an aging population of around 260 million. So there's this this big market to tap into who are now starting to shop online more than they ever were before just because the pandemic has meant that they've had to and now they're able to because they know how to use it yeah i, I mean I, I take a really important indirect message you've got a really big landscape for international brands to access the chinese consumer but every time you've said take three or four products maybe five be really focused focused on what you're about so instead of this huge proliferation of range, which is what a lot of people have tried to do or do, you know, <clears throat> established brand and established market, but yet conversely, more recently, markets and brands have been really successful by being really resolutely focused. They've nailed a need state. They've nailed something that is really clear to be identified by as a brand. I think mm -hmm. collagen brands being collagen brand, meal replacement being meal replacement, rather than a big all, you know, all of everything for everybody. And it's almost like mirroring that. So if you go over there, never more so do you have to be absolutely focused on who you are and what you can offer and get behind it. And I just think that's really fascinating that actually to go and access a big consumer base, go and potentially sell free products and you could change the landscape of your business potentially quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at any one time, we've got around 2 billion listings on Tmall and Taobao, which is our C2C platform. So to cut through all of those and be found by a consumer, you do have to be quite focused. You know, the way that you invest your marketing has to be aligned to a, a smaller number of products so that you can really back those and reach who you want to reach. Cool. Before we do the last section of the go-to-market, which is a lot of about this, plant mm. and natural or plant slash natural, vegan slash natural, how does that sit on the consumer trends? Yeah, this has been a really exciting evolution over the last sort of 12 to 14 months in China. Um, I think everywhere we're, see we're seeing this move towards plant and natural. Um, but in China, certainly I didn't expect to see it become as popular as it has, um, as quickly as it has. Um, Plant-based milks are huge. Um, back in, we, we have our Double Eleven Global Shopping Festival, um, which happens in June. We also have a summer festival um, for, for shopping and plant milks grew 350% in June. But then by November, they grew two and a half thousand percent year on year. So this is huge, obviously. Um, you've got people like Oatly, um, who've been in the market for around five years. Um, you, you now see them doing partnerships with Starbucks. So Oatly milk is now available to drink in 4,000 Starbucks outlets in China. Um, but we've also seen newer brands come to the market and um, people like Minor Figures, 
East London, super trendy, cool brand. Um, Rude Health, we launched just in December this year. Um, so this whole category is really, really evolving. I think something that um, Western brands don't necessarily realize is that um, over 90% of Chinese consumers are actually lactose intolerant. So dairy is something that is not natural for them to go to. So the plant world, and well, that's why soy has been such an incumbent, incumbent there. The plant milk world is ripe for evolution there. In fact, it's forecast to be 24% of the beverage category by the end of this year, by 2021. Um, so you've obviously got soy, you've got oat, but we're starting to see lots more interest and purchase of um, rice milk, pea protein milk, um, various different nut milks. So it's a really, really exciting category that Chinese consumers are really engaged within. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because the big the big flagship is the milks and Oatly is a great example. And again, you know, most people, well, you'd have to be blind not to have seen it really in terms of the industry. In terms of the, the brands that bring over like a smart bar to which they have the plant version, PhD is a good example with a plant yeah. version with um, a, a, a diet plants now as well, not diet whey, et cetera. But, you know, the mainstay has been dairy over here, but the consumer is broadly lactose intolerant, mm. high percentage of. Does that mean they should be launching with vegan-based protein powders more so than whey and dairy? Just I think there needs to be a balance still. <clears throat> you know, we're talking about these big growth numbers. It's it's still an early market. It's I think it's a it's a similar situation here in the UK. There's a greater awareness of it. There's a greater number of people who are open to it and are tapping into it. Um, the actual market size is still growing, so it's good to good to still keep what you do and offer the the alternative as well brilliant so go to market i mean mm. let's make let's make this um let's make this real for people um mm. something that we discussed yesterday but I'm, it's going to stick with me is this whole platform is almost a little bit like brands you know but not as you know it so the importance <laughs> of adapting to the chinese market so how Let's describe, if you were to summarize the key pillars of what you need to do, and, and we've discussed things about the humble terminology, SEO, et cetera. But if you were to describe to everyone listening the, the key pillars of, of how you would need to adapt to the Chinese consumer, what, what do you think they include? Mm. I think the first thing to do is to research the market. You know, you need to know what you're, what you're entering into, what your segment of the market is, the opportunity, and look at the potential for your brand. Um, the second thing is to find the partnership that's going to make it happen. So your, you know, your step one is gonna be come and talk to me. Let's have a look at what your brand is and what the trends are in the market. To go to China and to execute, you need to have a partner to operate your store. Um, the two different models, one is a trade partner, one is a distributor. Trade partner model is a B2C model. The distributor model is a B2B2C model. They're both going to be cross-border. So um, you'll be selling like you sell in the UK, but that finding that partner, which is something that we as Alibaba can help you with, finding that partner is really, really important. It's something you should invest your time in to make sure that you've got someone that understands your category and that really believes in your brand and is gonna be somebody that you can work with for, for the long term. Um, the third thing that I think is really important is pace. Um, as I said, our mission as a company is to make it easy to do business anywhere. Um, there is, you know, there will be some sort of time investment that is required to find that partner. And that part might feel a bit slow because it should be slow. It shouldn't be something you rush into and in finding that partner and making that market entry. But once you're in, 
things move really, really quickly in China. So you need to be ready to go fast. Um, and I can't emphasize that point enough. Um, I've worked for brands in the past, so I know the speed of brands, and then I know the speed of tech companies. Um, so you do need to be able to adapt, make quick decisions. Um, the fourth point would be really test and learn. You've got to be versatile in China. And the joy of e-com is that you can be versatile. You've got the data, it's real time. You can have a look at it and make snap decisions about what to try next. You can try something and if it works, it's brilliant. If it doesn't work, hey ho, let's go again with something different. Um, that's really, really important to be versatile because not everything's gonna be a win, but the data can help you work out what the wins are and then adapt to do better next time. And I think, yeah, like you said, my final point is to be humble. When you're going to China, it's a brand new market. You've never been there before. Um, you've got no sort of backing to prove who you are. You have to start from scratch and you know really look at what your route to market entry is and how you're going to be there and who you're going to speak to. I think the fifth one's really interesting. So yeah. I want to build on that. The first four just basically saying, you know, you've got to be serious. You've got to do your homework. You're going to have to yeah. find to work with the right people. You know, one of the questions I had was, you know, do you need to put your own team on the ground? Which effectively you will need your own local team if you're going to truly be successful. And that will come through partnership, yeah. of course, um, which will help people do. But yeah, it's, um, there is a real, there's a real need to do this process properly. And I suppose coming through your avenue, I mean, you've given some phenomenal case studies and stats as you come through here. That the whole point of working through this is actually you've got an inherent insights tool to enable people to be successful. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of information out there about the market and the partners that we work with are really, really well-versed on the business, on e-com, on their categories. They've worked with really great brands and I don't think that going to China should be any different to going to any other market. You know, you, any market that you go into, you have to do your research. You have to be serious. You have to invest. There's no market in the world that you can just walk into and expect an overnight win. But what you're going into with China is the world's largest retail market. You know, like I said at the top, you've got almost half of the world's global e-commerce taking place there. You've got to be serious about it. You've got to make it a priority for you as, as the individual leading export, but also for the whole business so that you can get the right amount of stock, so that you can get the sign off on marketing, so that you can get the board sign off on investment. It's an all team activity to make it work. You've got to be all or nothing. And um, just a quick build, I've got um, influencers. So I assume as you go local team, you're going to be engaging with local influencers and they're going to be really super important because they'll be on the mm. social media channels and, you know, the, the nuance of the lo localization of that, that little, you know, network, whilst it's gigantic, is mm. also a little micro hub of its own social media channels, influencers, etc. So you're going to have to get into that properly. Is that a, a, a correct assumption? Totally, yes. Um, all of the social media channels in China are unique to China. Um, and you should obviously dedicate a marketing investment towards those, um, as well as doing on-platform activities with us. One of the most exciting things in China, um, it's been brewing for a few years, but we've just seen it absolutely explode over the last year through the pandemic, is live streaming. Um, it is 
the most exciting thing about shopping today. Um, it's super dynamic. It's essentially an influencer. And in China, we call them KOLs, which stands for Key Opinion Leader. So you have a KOL on a live stream that you're watching on your phone, um, talking about a product. Um, they are telling you why they think it's great, what it tastes like, how to take it, um, how they like to enjoy it. And sometimes you've actually got somebody from head office at the brand on that live stream. So one example would be um, we've had the director of China from Vitabiotics on a live stream with a live a key opinion leader called JJ um, talking about their products. We've had the China director of Wittard of Chelsea on a live stream talking about their Tipias Anti. So it's very, very um, engaging because you've got somebody that thinks the product is really cool, but then you've also got an expert from the brand talking to you. And for the consumer, you're watching it live, you can interact with it, you know, you can click on emojis to say what you think about it. You can ask questions directly to the key opinion leader or to the brand. Um, but most excitingly, it's see now, buy now. So you can literally click and purchase that product and it will be with you in less than 24 hours in most cases. Um, so it's a really, really exciting way of working. If we sort of take so a couple of the leading key opinion leaders in China, um, I think one of the most famous ones is Austin Lee, who's known as the lipstick guy. Um, during Double Eleven Shopping Festival, he took part in a live stream as part of the pre-sale actually, not even the whole day. Um, so it's real time, remember? He had 100, 160 million people watch his live stream. What? 160 million people. Like the UK population is 65 million. There's more people than watch the Super Bowl. Um, and through that live stream, he sold 126 products, um, 8.8 million orders and 690 million RMB of deposits. That's around 70 million pounds. Just one in live, one live stream. One live stream. Wow. And the other great thing about live stream. I hope he took a cut of that. I tell you what, I hope he took a cut. <laughs> you know, the other good thing about live streaming for brands is that it's all very real time and you get direct feedback from the customers. Yeah. So because they can interact and engage with it, you know, they can say, I really want that supplement to be available in blueberry flavor. Please give me blueberry flavor, blueberry flavor. So as a brand, if you don't currently produce your uh, sleep anxiety gummy in blueberry and you've got thousands of people telling you that that's the flavor you want, that's going to enable you to create a product for the China market that could become a bestseller for you. So it's a really, really exciting way of, of working. Um, quick, uh, I'd love to talk about personalized nutrition, but that's probably for another day, maybe. Um, when you mentioned the models, so you, you, know, you go to a distributor or um, so you might go B to B to C, you might go to B to C as well through yeah. other partners. The first thing that goes to my mind there, if you're a brand is, is how much money have I got left with this? I mean, does, does, does the platform enable people that everyone charges a little bit more because everyone's exporting in and they've got different, you know, increasing freight costs, et cetera. And, you know, you've got margins being eroded through the partners you need to use, but you need to make it commercially viable. So what does that, does that just mean as an accepted price premium for everyone to sit on this global team wall landscape? How does that work? In so summary. Yeah, generally a brand will price no more than 10 to 15% higher than their home market. Um, again, it goes back to how savvy the Chinese consumer is. They've got phone in their hand all the time. They can search any product globally and see what it's retailing for in the home country. So if they then go back to Tmall and they see that product for a 50% markup, 
it's going to raise some alarm bells. When they see that product available from the brand and it's 10 to 15% higher, they're accepting that that's a sensible amount that they can pay for that product because they physically can't buy it in China. And, and within the e-commerce platform, you know, over here, people would say, oh, obviously, obviously, not necessarily, but e-commerce has obviously driven prices down, scalability, vertical integration on top of brands. Does that, um, I suppose what I'm saying is, is it seen as a premium platform or does it does it sustain a good, a better and a best type brand at each, at each category level, if that makes sense? I mean, it, it, is it heavily price driven in terms of how consumers shop? Price is something that the consumers are sometimes looking for. So during a shopping festival, they will expect to find some products available at a discount. And as a brand, you would set at the start, you know, the start of your relationship in China with your partner, you would make a sales operation plan for year one, and you will set your everyday price, your campaign price, and your mega campaign price. So there are opportunities where you would drop a mega campaign price and offer a discount to the consumer. But there is also this element of bundles being available, collaborations with other brands, exclusive products, um, which are super, super interesting to the consumer. Um, it's Tmall generally is the consumer who's in the tier one, two city in China, um, but that's obviously a huge amount of people. <clears throat> um, so there's always an opportunity for far reaching. Like I said at the top, you know, you can buy anything from health supplements to supercars on, on Tmall. There's, there's a really broad market of consumers who have got disposable income and want to buy premium brands from around the world. Brilliant. Um, last couple of questions. We've covered a little bit on logistics, which is important. Um, how quickly can someone switch on a business? I mean, how long does it take from having a first conversation? And I, and I, I suppose that inherent within that question is, how long does it take for them to create a business that they have the opportunity to achieve, if that makes sense? Like, does it take normally six to 12 months to, do they have to be committed through 12 months to really get anywhere? Um, if that makes sense. I'm sure there's a brand that have switched on in, in a matter of weeks and gone, holy my God, that couldn't see that coming. But what, what would you say in general? Um, how long does it take to switch on a business? Yeah, so uh, averagely three months. From when you're, when you're serious, three months. Um, the part that should and will take the most amount of time is finding a partner. Um, we'll introduce you to a handful of of shortlisted partners that we believe is right are right for you um, but you should take the time to have several calls and meetings with them to find out if they're a good fit to you you could spend a month doing that you could spend a year doing that so once you've got to the point where you found that person and it, you know, in the old days the good old days when we could travel we would always recommend that the brand goes to China and meets that team on the ground sadly now that's not an opportunity so this process has actually accelerated a little bit which is great for brands that want to get to market quickly um, so once you found that partner it's really a case of them building a store operations plan for you so looking at your year one sales plan and saying this is what we're going to do and then you're going to work with them and plan your stock deliver your content have that localized um, and then ship so from that point when you're when you say yes we're going to work with you partner a um it's generally about about three months to get that going brilliant before you get so um and into oh go on in terms of in terms of success um generally 
everyone going to China is looking at a long-term plan. You know, you're not, we're not wanting to go in and then come back out within two years. Um, so year one, you're probably breaking even. Um, usually it takes two to three years to turn profit. Okay. It's long-term. Yeah, good context though. Um, one more question. Um, I suppose inherently we've described what would underpin the successful brands in the case studies. You've talked about that lovely. What are maybe some of the mistakes or what have people underestimated the most about going into China? If you could name, let's say, the three things that people need to try and avoid making the same mistakes as those that have gone before them. Mm, um, I think the first thing is marketing. Um, you really do need to invest in your brand. You know, it's the same as if you were going to go and open a store today on Oxford Street in London. If you open a store and you don't tell anybody that you were going to open the store, um, how do you know that anybody's going to turn up? They more than likely won't. You're just going to rely on the person that walks by. So you do need to invest in marketing to build your brand. It's not an expenditure. It's an investment in you. Um, the second thing I think is, and it's quite, it's quite a nice problem, it's sort of stock planning. Um, particularly with things like live streams, you can get accepted onto a live stream with just five days notice and have to have enough stock to meet the potential sales that you're going to have. So stock planning is something that is really, really important. Um, and even, you know, a double 11 global shopping festival, you need to start preparing for that in May for it to take place in November. So you've got to get stock on a boat by the end of like end of August at the absolute latest. Um, so there's a lot to do with stock planning that you really, really need to focus on in China. Um, and I think, you know, the last thing is what should be the first thing really it's governance um you need to have that good partner in place you need to have somebody watching that partner and managing that business um making sure that all the things are working you know the basic fundamentals of commerce that you would have anywhere that you've had for centuries you know do you have your best-selling products showcased as well as they could be is the content right have you got video for that content have you truly explained what that product is and what it does um, have you got the right fundamentals of marketing in place? Have you got the right search words? Um, have you got enough stock? Have you um, planned for that event? All of these things are just really sensible commerce things that build into your China strategy, which should be a very specific China strategy. You cannot just copy paste your strategy from your home country into China. But you need to remember that all of the fundamentals of selling to another human being are the same in China. It's you're just selling things. So you need to get all of those elementary items right. Yeah, brilliant. Um, you blow my mind on the forecasting because it's kind of everyone's nightmare, actually. And then given the potential <laughs> scale you could have from one potential live event, a festival or a live stream, then you know, what you have to commit to getting product over there if you're exporting at the beginning of it, that's actually quite a mind-blowing thought process as to how you try and forecast that and plan that initially. That's for the planners out there. Um, yeah, and don't forget you've got your partner to help you with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you, and of course, there's an entire structure you're there to help. Um, what, yeah. Very last comment. <clears throat> what I think is most interesting about this is just how advanced the whole system is over there. And to some degree, we're talking about our, the brands over here going over there to sell to the Chinese consumer and it's an extension of where they are but in some respects you go over there <clears> you're learning so much about the future anyway because the yeah. entire platform in streaming education um, technology everything's so 
advance. And I suppose my last question, or more of a comment really, is if I'm a brand now, I think I want to go to China because I'm also going to future-proof what I'm learning and how I can adapt it back over here or into the US. Because you have to be future-proofed for the advancements of the platform. So maybe just as a final comment, Serena, just maybe just some thoughts on trying to get across the context of just how advanced Tmall is, um, you know, maybe from a technological platform and everything else that's involved compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up as your final point, because working in China is, is like working in the future to most Western brands, um, but it is the reality for mm. China. Um, live streaming, the logistics infrastructure, you know, you can, you can have deliveries in a matter of minutes in some cases in China. Um, it's super, super fast. And that's why China was so set up for the pandemic because the infrastructure that Alibaba has in place was already there. It was there and it was in place and it was being used. So brands just needed to tap into it and they could continue to run their businesses. They were able to keep the economy going with that, those consumers. And that's why we see China being, you know, one of the very few um, evolved economies that's still growing and is forecast to grow this year as well. So as a brand, when you're going to China, you really are doing some really great research for what is going to happen here. Um, it's a brilliant way to future-proof your business um, and to, you know, really, really see what's happening in terms of retail trends and health trends as well. Amazing. That felt like the right place to end the talk because in some respects, uh, everyone talks about trends and the future and the importance of what they need to do to be, um, you know, to have longevity. Maybe what they need to do is stop stargazing into the future about the next big trend and maybe go and do business in China because you're, by definition, you're going to be future-proofing everything and walking into the next generation, at least on an e-commerce a way of doing business which is fascinating serena you've been amazing um you really have what a great what a great topic great insights great anecdotes great content um thank you so much for joining us today Thanks. and i guess um for anyone who is listening brands and businesses who are interested in doing that they should um they should pick up with you if they they want to know how to to see if they're right for team more global So a big thank you to Serena today for providing a great overview and understanding about the Chinese market and the Chinese consumer. I think I take a couple of things from the podcast. Um, firstly, but perhaps unsurprisingly, is just how sensitive the Chinese market and the consumer is to the importance of health and wellness. But when you multiply that by the sheer size of the population, you start to get an appreciation of the size of the opportunity that presents itself for those in Europe or those globally who want to export out there. It is quite mind-blowing to say the least. But interestingly, when you look at the trends and from a product point of view, it's very much within the capabilities of the brands over here. In fact, we have some great brands and great products. So looking at things like sleep or eye health or probiotics and gut health. And then, of course, into the classic world of sports nutrition around protein and the growth of protein bars and convenience. 
is all there and ready to go for us, should we wish to take that opportunity. But of course, I suppose as a build on that, we have to be serious. You have to put capital behind it. You have to engage with local businesses on the ground to enable you to do that. Now, of course, Alibaba and Timor Global have the entire infrastructure to help you do that, but you can't be under any illusions that you have to be serious about the approach that you're going to take. But should you do that, then Serena provides some great stories and anecdotes of people who are doing particularly well. And it's not just the classical brands. As you mentioned, the Boom Bar in Slovenia is a great example of um, brands that many people might not have necessarily heard of, but can go over and have a great platform for success. But I suppose maybe the final point that is really important for me is we do talk almost all the time about we know that China is advanced, but actually when you really listen to it, you appreciate just how advanced it actually is. And I suppose we're always talking about how to future-proof brands here and how to make them sustainable over time to the trends, but not just trends, but the infrastructure, e-commerce, technology, personalization. And I just have this feeling, having spoken to Serena, that given how advanced China is, that actually, if you're going to future-proof your brand and you're going to be keeping one eye on the months and the years ahead, actually, Doing business in China is not just about an expansion to your business today. It's also about future-proofing it for tomorrow. And I think there's something really interesting in that um, for people and myself to reflect on and to think about how it might enable us to do business better in the future. So with that thought, I'll leave you to ponder it over the next week prior of course to the next great podcast that we have to come so thanks again for joining us thanks for supporting us um we will continue to bring great people great content and great insights um over the forthcoming weeks and months